Hey, welcome to Blackhawk Church. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team here at Blackhawk Church. Welcome to those of you who are in the room uh, right now uh, with me here at our Brader Way site. Welcome to those of you who are in Gospel Fusion here at Brader Way and those of your traditions here at Brader Way. Those of you who are at Blackhawk Downtown, Blackhawk Fitchburg, hey, welcome. All of you who are watching uh, online and all over the country, really the world, thank you for uh, joining us uh, today. For those of you who are part of our Blackhawk Chinese ministry, Dijong Zimei Ping An, and for Spanish listeners, Ben Vieto, a Blackhawk Cristo Viva. Hey, listen, before I get into uh, the talk, I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, this talk. This talk on February 6th was supposed to be given by our senior pastor, Matt uh, Metzger. But as Matt uh, told you about three weeks ago, his uh, mom and dad, Guy and Margie Metzger, are experiencing some health challenges in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So he was with his wife, Rachel, down in Fort Lauderdale. They came back uh, to Madison for a couple weeks, but now they've gone back uh, to Fort uh, Lauderdale. So um, this message, he was supposed to give this message, but uh, because he's in Fort Lauderdale, I'm going to give uh, that talk. So let me just talk to Matt uh, for a second. So he's watching in uh, Fort Lauderdale. So hey, first guy and Margie, you got a whole bunch of people in Wisconsin uh, praying for you. So we just wish you uh, the very best. And Matt and Rachel, uh, we love you guys. And uh, you're doing the right thing uh, by being there. So let, let's just hear it for uh, Guy and Margie uh, right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Love you. Hope that, uh, hope that encourages. There you go. Matt, one more thing. <laughs> Sorry, little conversation here. Hey, you know when you send me those texts about the temperature in Fort Lauderdale, that really doesn't help at all. So like, just kind of stop uh, doing that. So I'm going to do the talk uh, today, and then I'm going to be doing the talk uh, next Sunday also. So it's like old times. You got me two weeks in a row. So there you go. Hey, one of the things that I really enjoy uh, doing is to go to different uh, art museums around uh, the country, and you probably are aware of this, that two and a half hours away from Madison, uh, a world-class um, art museum called the Art Institute of Chicago is there, and just recently I went there uh, with my uh, son. While we were there, we took uh, a selfie, my son and I, and then what was the guy's name that was with I uh, can't remember his name. Oh, yeah, uh, Vincent. Here's the selfie of, uh, there you go. So Vincent's the guy in the middle without the mask on. So I uh, just love uh, going to art museums with my son. My son has taught philosophy of art in different colleges, so he's kind of fun to be with in places like that. You know, you just walk over to a piece of art and say, well, just tell me about that. And then he launches into a lecture. You know, I have no idea where he got the ability to lecture. I have no idea where he got that. <laughs> but anyway, he's fun to listen to. So uh, perhaps uh, Van Gogh's most famous piece is called Starry Night. Here is Starry Night. This is not in the Art Institute in Chicago. It's actually in a gallery in New York City, and it's on my bucket list. I'd love uh, to see that. Many of you are more familiar with Van Gogh now because you may have gone to the immersive experience in Milwaukee, and that's traveling around the country. So that was like an incredible experience where a different Van Gogh uh, art pieces, you know, you're on the walls and you walk around there. And what I've been told is that's actually coming uh, to Madison sometime in the near future. So that is something you probably don't uh, want to miss. 
Van Gogh, obviously, is extremely uh, famous. That's an understatement. But what most people don't know about uh, Vincent Van Gogh is that at one time in his life, he wanted to do what I'm doing right now. He wanted to uh, preach and pastor a Protestant local church. One uh, author writes this about Van Gogh. He entered missionary training college in Brussels and was appointed evangelist to the Belgian mining district of Boranish. During his sojourn in England, he attended church and taught Sunday school at Turnham Green Congregational Church, but he also attended prayer meetings and preached at the Wesleyan Methodist Church in Richmond, which is a suburb of London right next to Wimbledon. That's a great book by David uh, Hempton. It's called Evangelical Disenchantment, Nine Portraits of Faith and Doubt, 2008, Yale University Press. Great work. About different people who are famous who became disenchanted, disappointed with Christianity. Van Gogh, early in his life, would have self-identified as an evangelical if they would have used that term back in those days. But one thing led to another, and he became very disappointed with Christianity, mostly the way Christians were hypocritical about justice issues and poverty in the area that he was in. He never saw financial success from any of his artwork, and he died by suicide at the age of 37. Many of us have experienced what Van Gogh went through. We used to be zealous about Christianity, but we've lost that zeal like a car running out of gas. We can feel ourselves beginning to stall out. It might be because of things that we see on news feeds or whatever, but all of a sudden, we see hypocrisy everywhere in people who call themselves Christians and we become disenchanted. It's all we can do actually to just watch today's message. We're about ready, truth be known, to like walk away. If you feel like you're about ready to stall out and you're disappointed uh, in Christianity and with Christians, I've got one thing to say to you. Welcome to Blackhawk Church. <laughs> we are absolutely so glad that you are here. And actually, if truth be told, uh, probably all of us, if you've been a Christian very long, you've probably experienced periods of disenchantment or disappointment with Christianity. So I should say, like, welcome to Christianity. It's fairly common. It's especially common for pastors I definitely have been disenchanted with Christianity, absolutely. And not like way back in the past. I mean, like recently, since you've known me, where I get disappointed with the way people who call themselves Christians actually uh, behave. People who research this kind of thing say that 60 to 80% of the men and women who begin 
in pastoral ministry won't be in pastoral ministry 10 years later. It's very, it's an occupational hazard. As Christ followers run into schisms or scandals or scoundrels and we see those people call themselves Christians. It's like, what? And we become disenchanted, disappointed. Many of us feel that way. I've got good news for all of us who feel disenchanted or disappointed with Christianity. That's exactly the way the people felt who were on the side of a hill when Jesus delivered his famous sermon on the mount. They felt disappointed with uh, their religion at the time. They were the ones who were looking at the scoundrels and the schisms, and they felt pressed down by the religious leaders of their day, and they felt poor in spirit. (laughs) They felt meek. They felt like nobodies from nowhere. Their religious leaders were telling them that uh, they had to completely change their behavior and act like the religious leaders if they wanted to please God. And then Jesus came along. And, And he said, all of those guys, they are all wrong. And he turned everything upside down. He looked at the disappointed, disenfranchised on the side of the hill, and he said to them, yes, blessed are you, You people who are poor in spirit, blessed are the people who mourn, blessed are the people who feel meek. Basically, he was saying to the people who felt like they were nobodies from nowhere, you're my kind of people. And this is the kind of people that God will use to change the world. You will go out and make a difference in the world. And he uses two famous metaphors to say that. He says, You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And he intends for his people to make a difference. That's what we're going to look at today. So take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Matthew 5, verse 13. This is uh, the second in our series of 11 messages. And we're calling this series on the Sermon on the Mount uh, Becoming because uh, Jesus intends his people the followers of him, to become more and more and to change and to become more and more like the people he describes in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this message is kind of the, um, it just tags along exactly with what Pastor Charles said last week. Pastor Charles began the Sermon on the Mount with an introduction. Every sermon has an introduction, a body of the sermon, and a conclusion. Every sermon. Jesus' introduction is these things called the Beatitudes and the two metaphors that I'm going to give right now. So Pastor Charles just stopped with the Beatitudes and then he kind of passed the baton to me. So this message is really the second part of Jesus' introductory uh, comments. So the messages go together like peanut butter and jelly. So if you didn't hear Charles' message last week, you're just getting the jelly uh, today. So make sure you go back and get the peanut butter also. These messages go together. And then after the introduction, the next week, we begin the body of the message when uh, Jesus says, uh, don't believe that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then there's a long section all the way to to chapter 7, verse uh, 12. 
And then he concludes uh, the message. So this, I'm talking a lot, aren't I? So this is just the second part of the introduction. That's my point. Did you guys get what I'm trying to say? And this is what he's doing right now. He said to them, blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. You will inherit the earth. And he's just trying to encourage people who feel disenfranchised, people who feel disappointed with the religion around them. And he looks at them, and then he says this. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's not good for anything. It's to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. These are powerful words. These are like, what? Drop the mic kind of words. Because he's looking at people who feel like there's nobodies from nowhere, who are disenfranchised. They're the people that Pastor Charles was talking about last week. These are the people who have like no power. (laughs) And he says to them, yeah, you're my kind of people. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light. I'm yelling, aren't I? I'm yelling, aren't I? He's, he's inviting them. He's saying, you guys, you're the ones who can make a difference. The people who feel this, the Vincent Van Goghs, you're the ones who can make a difference. People who feel like, well, it's all, a ma-. no, no, you're the ones who can make a difference. Those religious leaders, they're not the salt and the light. The temple is not the salt and the light. Jerusalem's not the salt and the light. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You guys get what he's doing? He's inviting them. He's encouraging them. He's trying to pump them up. Just like I'm trying to pump you guys up. First phrase, you are the salt of the earth. So what does he mean by that? How would they have understood that? Well, scholars tell us that they used salt for all kinds of different things back in those uh, days. And so um, three different things that are kind of popular in our world today might have been the things that he kind of meant. Salt seasons food. That's one thing that salt does. So I brought a cucumber up here and some cucumber slices. And so I have a a cucumber with no salt on it. My that, that's pretty good. And then I'm gonna take a little bit of salt right here. Just a little bit, doesn't take, whoop, didn't take much. Mmm, much better. You know, y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah, this is silly. Chris, why are you doing that? We know it's seasoned food. That's why we sit at the table and say, pass the salt. Because we know it. It makes a difference. Salt also, and it's happening to me right now, creates thirst. Creates thirst. It doesn't take a lot of salt, very little salt to season food, and it doesn't take a lot of salt to create thirst. A million years ago, back when I was in high school and uh, like ran track and stuff like that, uh, so we had a trainer that would come around to us and pass out little tiny pills, and they basically were just salt pills. 
And he would give them to us and we would take them and he gave them to us so that we would get thirsty so that we would drink water, hydrate, which is very important for athletes, important for everybody. Doesn't take a lot of salt to season food. Doesn't take a lot of salt to create thirst. And salt also, last one, preserves food. Now this is different. It takes a lot of salt to preserve food. And those people on the side of the hill, they knew that. Some of the people on the side of the hill were fishermen. And they'd catch fish. And then they would take those fish like far away, like into some big city like Jerusalem. And uh, you had to pack those fish in salt. And if it was going to get there, anybody going to buy it? Because some of those people on the side of the hill were farmers. They'd butcher a cow. And uh, yeah, that meat's going to go bad really quick unless you preserve it in some salt. The point that I think Jesus is making when he says to these people on the side of the hill, the disenfranchised, the people who are disappointed, I think he's basically saying, you are the people who make a difference in the world. Salt makes a difference. That's his point. That's why he says in verse 13, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. If the salt loses its saltiness, listen, you guys, if the salt doesn't make a difference anymore, it's not good for anything. How are you guys doing with that? You follow me? Do somebody do this. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make any, it, it, it makes a difference. And that word uh, for loses its saltiness, could you put that slide uh, back up? Loses its saltiness, it loses its saltiness, is this Greek word, moranthane. Whoa. To the Greek reader, Matthew wrote in Greek. Huh. Whoa. Ooh. Because the root of that word is maro, and it also is used by Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Ooh, well, this is fun. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he has all kinds of pairs, two of this, two of that, two of this, and the last pair is this famous pair of these builders. He says, therefore, if everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house upon the, the rains come down, the streams, right? winds blow and beat against that house. But that house stands because it has its foundation on the, but whoever hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man. Ooh, there's that word, moro, who built his house upon the sand. And the rains came down, the streams rose, the wind blew against that house, and that house fell with a great crash. Before we leave that slide and go back to the peanut butter message, where Charles was basically saying, some of us were taught that the Sermon on the Mount is an impossible ethic. It just teaches us that we're all sinners, we need grace. Well, that's obvious. But we're not supposed to practice an impossible ethic. Jesus disagrees with that interpretation. See, that's what Charles was saying last week. Because Jesus, he's a pretty good theologian. Jesus thinks that we should practice what he just said. Did you see that? 
Put uh, back at the last part of chapter 7. Yeah, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. He wants us to practice this. If you practice it, you're like a wise man who builds your house upon the rock. If you're not practicing it, you're like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And now we go to the salt verse. If salt loses its saltiness, literally, but if the salt becomes foolish, it's not good for anything. How you guys doing? Doesn't make a difference. Not good for anything. I don't think we need to read like hell here. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think he's talking about you're my people. Now be different. If you're not different, you're not going to make any difference. You're not going to make an impact. If you're unjust like the world, if you're proud like the world, if there's no difference between my people and the world's people, then you're not going to make any difference in the world. I think that's what he's saying to his people on the side of the hill who felt like they were nobodies from nowhere. The second thing he says is this. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I think he's making two points here about light. The first point that he's making is this. You can't miss it. Go back to the verse. He says, you're the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden, can't miss it. They built towns on the top of hills in those days because the breezes were, it was cooler up there and militarily, it's easier to defend the city on a hill. And there were all kinds of cities on hills. And at night, boy, they just like stood out. You can't miss it. Second point he makes about light is this point. It helps us see helps us see. The lamp that he was probably talking about, you light a lamp, you don't put a bowl over it, you put it on a stand so it gives light to everybody in the house. That kind of lamp is probably one of these uh, lamps, a little small kind of lamp. If you've ever gone to the Middle East for any kind of tour, every tour shop has thousands of these things right here. Probably, there's probably hundreds of represented in the audience that are in this room. Little tiny lamp. But it makes enough difference for everybody in the house in how a little candle will make all the difference in the world in a dark room. Make all the difference in the world. Just a tiny little light. My wife and I were able to take a long break for six months and we got away from uh, you guys. We got away from Madison. We just had like a fantastic uh, time. Maybe I should word that differently, I don't know. <laughs> but at any rate, it was really, really great. And one of the things we did is my wife and I, we love to drive a lot of places, so we went all kinds of places. We drove uh, during those six months for over 12,000 miles. Not at the same time, but I mean, we put a lot of miles on the car and we had the best time. One of the things that we did is that we tried to kind of uh, um, 
reconnect with a lot of the uh, people who've been pastors that we've launched to different places in the country and they're all over the United States. So like we basically drove, you know, like up to Fargo and then we went over to like uh, the Seattle area and then Portland and then we down to San Diego and then Tucson, Phoenix and then over to San Antonio. Up and as we're driving to Kansas City, where a friend of mine named Matt Rustin, Matt and Margie Rustin, some of you remember the Rustins, they live in Kansas City. And about 100 miles outside of Kansas City, it just started to storm so bad. It was like, it was just like, it was just awful. And it was dark and stormy. And I was about ready to pull off, uh, you know, onto a, a safe exit. And then uh, the semi uh, tractor trailer passed me. And, you know, the speed limit is like 70 there. But, uh, you know, this truck driver is going about 50, 50 or 45. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to follow this truck far enough back so that, you know, I'm in their mirror so they can see me. And they had on the back of their truck these, these four lights on the back of this big trailer. Shake your heads up and down if you know what I'm saying. And uh, you, I could re- hardly see the road, but I could see those red lights, those little small lights. And I said to Sunshine, as long as I can see those lights, I'm going to trust that driver, if it's a man or a woman, whoever, I don't know. And I'm just going to trust that they can see the road. And we followed that truck for about 50 miles, just watching those little tiny four lights. Couldn't hardly see the road. When we came to our exit, I exited off and I blinked my lights like five or six times and honked my horn. And the driver, man or woman, I don't know, they knew exactly what I was doing. I bet they've done that before. And they blinked their lights on and off and, and they honked their horn. For those people who are truckers who are listening to me, we just love you guys. You guys have a big job, especially during COVID. Oh my gosh. So, hey, let's just hear it for truckers right now. Yeah. So we followed this truck driver and we were safe because of those little lights on the back of her or his truck. We felt safe following them. Some of you are thinking, you know what? I'm not a big deal in the world and I don't make a big splash and nobody is going to follow me. You guys, it's always going to rain. It's always going to storm. It's not whether the rain comes, it's always going to rain, it's always going to storm, and people are watching you. You might be a high schooler, and you don't know anybody around you who's like a follower of Christ, and you're thinking, I'm not making any difference in the world. When it rains in your high school and when it storms in our culture, people are watching you. You might work in a store. Maybe you work in Home Depot or Menards or Chick-fil-A or Culver's. And you're thinking, none of these workers are professed Christ followers. But you know what? When it storms and it rains, people are watching. They're watching you. You might be a neighbor in a neighborhood. And you don't know anybody in your neighborhood who you know is a Christ follower. And you think, what difference? You know what? When it's difficult and life gets hard, People are watching you. And you say, well, I don't want them to watch me, Pastor Chris. Jesus is the light. I want, I want them to watch Jesus. That's not what Jesus is saying right here. Totally, he is the light of the world. Got that. But in this passage, he looks at that crowd and he says, you 
are the light of the world. Don't shrug that off, you guys. That's the Lord telling you. You're the light. People are watching you. You know, that verse is a big verse for us at uh, Black Hawk uh, Church. Let's look at that uh, verse again. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Sometimes uh, when we talk about good works around here, we put it in uh, this context. We talk about good works build goodwill and that leads to good news. As we do good things in our community, it builds goodwill in our community, and that gives us an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That happens actually a lot in our community, and I'm gonna let Pastor Matt Metzger and the impact director, Susan DeMell, talk more about that. Watch this. So one of the things that I love about being the senior pastor of Blackhawk Church is hearing all the stories of the way that God continues to work through our church in the community and in the world. But the thing that we've realized over time is that as a church, we don't always do a good job at sharing those stories with people. Part of the reason being, we don't ever want it to come across like, oh, as Blackhawk Church, we're trying to pat ourselves on the back and make ourselves look good. So we intentionally don't share those stories. But the thing that we've realized as we look at passages like Matthew chapter five, verse 16, is, is that it says that we might be people who let our light shine bright, that people might see our good works and praise our Father in heaven. Not praise our church, but praise God. And so what we wanted to do for just a little bit of time was to have a few minutes to share with you, the people of Blackhawk, uh, more stories of the ways that God is working through this place. And uh, so I have asked our director of Impact Ministries, Ms. Susan DeMell, to come and share some of those stories with us right now. So Susan, welcome. Why don't you take a few minutes just to share with us some stories? I'll highlight a few. Um, one is uh, really about two different churches in the community. So one on the east side and one in Sun Prairie. Uh, one of our friends will say, hey, there's this church. Do you know them? Uh, example would be SS Morris Community AME Church. Yes. Which we didn't know them. Um, before one of our friends uh, introduced us and told us about an, a need they had to, uh, for a new roof. And so we came around that church with some other churches and we were able to help them out with that roof. Um, and so they were so excited about it that they invited all those churches to a ribbon cutting ceremony, which you were at. It was so fun being there. I mean, they couldn't have been doing what they were doing had they not had this new roof. It was yeah. a really cool experience. That's <laughs> so cool. So there's another church uh, that we came around with a couple other uh, friends of ours, other churches, and it's uh, the Faith Place in Sun Prairie, and okay. we've worked with them before in the past, but we were able to have another opportunity to kind of come alongside uh, them as they were moving toward and uh, really raising funds to get a down payment together to purchase the building that they meet in. So rather than being basis. renters, they yep. can actually be the owners, the owners of of the building. Space. This is a so really great. cool way uh, for us to invest in Kingdom Work, what they were doing. Absolutely. And these, again, these are the kind of stories that people don't oftentimes yeah. get to hear. 
Each of our sites has uh, at least one Adopt-A-School partner. Okay. Um, and so Fitchburg, as an example, they partner with Leopold Elementary. Yeah. And so they were able to come a- a- alongside uh, and around their efforts to do like um, black history and multicultural celebrations wow. and uh, get voice amplifiers. They wanted sure. to purchase those so that students could actually hear what they're teaching them. <laughs> crazy concept. Might be kind of helpful. So that was a really cool thing to come alongside uh, them in. And then our Braider Way site works with Anana Elementary. They wanted to get t-shirts for all faculty, all students, just to bring uh, all of them together unified in kind of their really new school name. So they wanted to um, encourage and just get students really excited for our new semester. So kind they all of got feeling t-shirts. of like we're in this together. Yep, yep. I love that. Yep. Last but not least, Downtown uh, partners with Capitol High. Capitol High uh, needed uniforms for their basketball team. They didn't have any. And I think this basketball team, this was a new thing for them. Yeah. Really, every other school in Madison who has teams like that, they have funding that's set aside for <laughs> uniforms and all the things that they need. This is a school that didn't have any mm-hmm. of that. And so to see a group of students step out onto the court in new uniforms with with dignity and <laughs> yeah. a little bit of swagger, yeah, yeah. you know, just to be able to, you know, have that feeling of just this self-respect to step onto the court and know that somebody mm-hmm. cared about them enough to be able to get them uniforms. There was something just powerful about it. Mm-hmm. These are the kind of stories that, I, I mean, for so many of us, we, we just don't get to hear that often. But the thing that I love about, you know, being a part of a big church, one of the benefits is that for a lot of us as people, when we have the chance to lock arms and go after the heart of God, being salt and light in this community by the way that we're generous with our time, with our resources, and the things that God can do, the way that we can lift his name high in this city, and they're just massive. So to all of you who are a part of everything that we do that way, thank you so much for the finances you give, the time you give, the way that you volunteer. And uh, we just look forward to seeing stories that we get to tell in the future as God continues to use us. Good works, goodwill, good news. So a lot of us are listening to that and we go, hey, that's really cool. I didn't know any of those things were taking place. We had a lot of things that go on that you don't know about. And you think, that's cool and I feel like I can be a light in the community just by being part of a Blackhawk church, but just me, little old me, I'm just a nobody from nowhere, nobody. Well, you're wrong. You are wrong. Years ago, my wife and I um, spent the night at some friend's house and we were unfamiliar with their house, and when we went to bed, uh, they kind of showed us uh, like where the bathroom was. We were in their bedroom, and they said, you know, if you have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, so it's this door here. And they were in an older house, and there were three doors right next to each other. So you know where this door's going? So there was uh, one was the bathroom. I think that was in the middle. And then uh, there was another door that was a closet, and then there was another door, and that led to the basement. Middle of the night, Sunshine has to get up and go to the bathroom. She walks to those three doors. She opens the door and boldly walks in to the basement. She falls down a flight of stairs 
and she breaks her tailbone. I don't know if you've ever broken your tailbone, but you can't put a cast on that if you know what I'm talking about. She was in pain for months and months and months. A little light like this in a dark hallway would have made all the difference in the world. Listen, everybody, there are no 1,000 watt Christians. Most of us are like 10 or 20 watts. And we start thinking, oh, nobody cares, nobody. A small light in a dark place can make all the difference. It can keep people from going down roads that they should not go down. It can make all the difference in the world. You may feel like a nobody from nowhere, but Jesus Christ says, you are my followers. You are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Go make a difference. Let's leave. Let me lead you in some prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you, Father, that um, because of your uh, grace in our life, because of uh, something someone said, a light that happened in our life years and years ago, we made a decision to start following you. And uh, we pray, Father, that you would help us to make a difference at our workplace, to make a difference in our family, to make a difference in our neighborhood, that we would not be like the rest of the world, that we would not be proud, that we would be humble, that we would not be people about injustice, be people of justice. We pray, Father, that you would help us and empower us to make a difference in the world in which we live by your power and your strength and for the sake of your reputation. All God's people said, amen. All right, listen, everybody. You're the salt of the earth, right? You're the light of the world. Go make a difference.